October is the global security month dedicated to raising awareness on cyber threats, cybersecurity and cyber defense. For years, Estonia has been at the forefront of cybersecurity. How has Estonia become a global security power? How to become cyber resilient? And what are the main achievements of NATO and the EU in cyber defense policy? These and more questions will be answered in this episode of Raven on Air with the Digital Transformation Advisor at eEstonia, Annette Numa. Hi everyone, and welcome to the podcast Raven on Air. My name is Jan Havranek, freely translated as John Raven or Little Raven. I serve as Deputy Minister of Defense Policy and Strategy at the Czech Ministry of Defense, and my aim here is to give you a bit of an insight into international security and politics, broadcasting from the center of Europe to the center of your attention. Today I'm hosting Annette Numa. She's a Digital Transformation Advisor in the eEstonia Briefing Center. Annette specializes in cyberspace and security, e-governance, smart city solutions, EU foreign relations and i-voting. Hello Annette and welcome to Raven on Air. We're recording in Warsaw. Today we're going to be talking about uh, all things cyber, cybersecurity, but also digitalization, new technologies. You have been the special envoy of the government of Estonia for e-governance, is that the right uh, title? Almost, yes. I'm, I'm working as one of the uh, digital transformation advisors. So my job is not to call our uh, prime minister every week and say this, this is what we should do next. Uh, but actually, my job uh, is the other way around. So I consult different other government agencies, um, not internally in Estonia, but, but mostly the international ones. So whenever mm-hmm. there is uh, there is another foreign government interested uh, hearing what Estonia has been up to and what they could learn from us, then they usually come over and uh, meet with us. Um, so I'm, I'm I'm traveling a lot at different conferences, so uh, telling the story. It's like basically being like an ambassador in a way. <laughs> Indeed. So let's start from the beginning. You know, why Estonia and cyber? When was this strategic decision made? Well, we, we have to jump back uh, in, in 30 years, first of all. Um, so Estonia rega- regained its independence, or I would say restored its independence, um, 1991. And, and obviously that was completely a different time where there wasn't much of a trust. And of course, also trust has a lot to do with security. Um, like why well, I would say like one state can be secure if there is a trust between government agencies and of course also uh, the citizen side there. Um, so we we needed to start building this trust from the very uh, very early days already. Mm-hmm. And um, and and luckily when we go again back to uh, all the problems that we were facing with lacking of uh, like money, uh, the budget side, uh, the trust as a like corruption side, there was a lot of problems that came from the Soviet Union background. So uh, we. In order to like really like to get rid of these problems, we couldn't continue doing things in the same way we had done in the past. So basically, we were just like looking for a solution, and that was technology. Yeah, um, but still, 30 years ago, technology yeah. was completely different. Well, well yeah. If if there is one thing that we can be thankful for for the Soviet Union times was that in in the year of 1960, uh, they were looking for the cyber. It was like a cyber institute in a way. Um, that they were looking for like a location where to put it and then there were two options on a table either Georgia or Estonia and and some of our politicians were just like smart enough to lobby enough in in Moscow and and to bring it to Estonia so we, we had kind of like in the background of technology already since 1960s uh, but uh, but yeah we just wanted to 
provide a little more transparency since very early days already again managed with this budget and obviously when it comes to technology our people were smart enough to know that first of all you need to build a safe infrastructure um, and, and and all the security aspects and and then you can start building services on it uh, so it doesn't work the other way uh, and that's what Estonia started already in the 90s building yeah. the basic state infrastructure yeah absolutely first yeah uh, we, we already introduced the electronic identity cards which are very essential when it comes to security aspect uh, in the year 2002. Uh, a decentralized system of exchanging information was introduced in 2001. We we're talking about 20 years ago. Uh, so, so this was already the basis that we built. Uh, and, and the attack that we had in 2007, when we had more time to speak. And I'm going to ask you about that. that. Yes, exactly. So, uh, so that was also very great proof that uh, this actually works. And, and whatever we had built before, is convenient and and uh, I'm, I'm very happy that Estonian government chose to go that way and and really try to I mean in a, in a sense we were a little bit lucky too because mm. um, we could start everything from scratch mm. so right now when we talk about like the other Western countries that are struggling of implementing something it's because the legal system legal background it's just like it's 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 just so so big and and, and it takes forever to go uh, like to push some kind of new laws to and not only the legal background but really the vendor lock-in and the kind of a systems that mushroom throughout the 90s in the case of the Czech Republic you would have all sorts of companies providing all sorts of systems uh, to different ministries and 25 30 years later we're still stuck with uh, a non-functioning IT <laughs> Moving on into the early 2000 uh, and the first decade of the 21st century. Um, so at that time, with the novelty in e-governance and uh, administration, it was still pretty much, you know, not about security, uh, was it, wasn't it? Because uh, my understanding that even for you, the 2007 uh, cyber attack uh, was a wake-up call. Well, obviously, I mean, uh, if, if you think about the, uh, again, uh, which I already brought it out, like the infrastructure, that was there. But there wasn't an understanding that these things can happen. And, and like you said, it was a wake-up call. And we were like pretty much like, okay, well, this this can actually happen. And, and if it's an attack on a cyberspace, it is also influencing the entire society internally. And I remember I was very young back in 2007. <laughs> I was very what, young. What was young. the day like? Um, it was it was a headache, I would say. It was the first time, obviously, because the crisis didn't just come out of nowhere. Mm. If you have heard about the background by the time that there was one kind of um, monument, um, a statue that we took away and, and this caused like a confusion in a society and then they just used a time that politicians were busy with something else, right? So, so obviously, if I would think about that day, that was the first time ever because uh, I was born already into independent Estonia, um, that I was scared. I was really scared uh, what, what's going to happen and, and what's happening outside right now. Uh, but, but luckily, again, that was a proof that decentralization works. Uh, but of course, again, a wake up call saying, hey, guys, the threat is next to you and you have to deal with this as soon as possible. And, and, and next time, maybe these these hackers are going to be smarter than you are. Right. Um, so, so obviously, uh, we were lucky. We didn't lose much of information. Only private sector was influenced a little bit. Um, and um, then we, we just said, okay, it's time to really start investing much more money. 
into that sector too. And uh, a year after, NATO uh, brought its cybersecurity headquarter to Estonia. The Cyber Excellence uh, Center is, is currently uh, like based in, in Tallinn, Estonia, and, and that's incredible. Again, shows that they know that we we had a competence and and we we were facing this kind of crisis and we were going through this situation. We now have the experience. Certainly, and I want to give a lot of credit to the center and to to your country for leading uh, really the policy and the decision making on all things cyber when it comes to cybersecurity. But perhaps if we can just uh, for a little while stick to the the 2007 attack. Uh, what was it like? It lasted for three weeks. Uh, was it a series of attacks? Uh... Again, uh, when we when we go back to the decentralized system, so the attacks were very like as I said around two three weeks, uh, depending on on a portal itself. Uh, but uh, we do not store any of our information centrally anywhere. Mm-hmm. So they are divided by thousands of different registries. And, and and if you put yourself in a position of being a hacker, if you try to attack a system, let's say a population registry, which is the only registry that stores people's home addresses, mm-hmm. um, then if you get access to that information, are you happy? Like you just have somebody's personal code and a random uh, address. Yeah. What are you going to do with this? So, so we what we had to do just because we we try to cut the links, uh, because thanks to the extra system that the uh, de- uh like data exchange layer, we are able to exchange information between portals. So we just kind of had to cut it at like for a little bit, uh, so that the portals will be just like kind of like offline in a way, uh, so that uh, nobody could get access access to that as well. Uh, but uh, but definitely uh, that was a challenge. Because when we think about like we're lacking of human resources in the year 2021, then back in that time we didn't have much of resources either. Right. And 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 that was a problem. And and that's why today we have made completely different decisions as having a cyber command, uh, cyber defense league, uh, and and again responsibility between different ministries and in, like governmental institutions is much more clear. You know, the way I'm looking at your country's situation, it has been a clear pathway towards societal resilience and how the state can organize itself around one particular topic, but really can relatively quickly, you know, build a societal resilience out of necessity, but perhaps also out of novelty. So you've been quite inspirational in the NATO and EU context. How do you see these two organizations? Uh, what do you think they have achieved? And uh, how do you think they should be moving forward on the on cybersecurity and cyber defense? Well, I'm personally a very big fan of NATO and EU both. <laughs> Good. I even have my, my um, university degree in, in the European studies, so... <laughs> Check all the boxes. <laughs> Exactly. So, uh, but 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 seriously, it's just like I would say uh, when we when we talk about the EU and NATO itself, um, they're concluding countries that have the same values and and completely the same values when it comes to data protection and uh, and we really care about what we do with our citizens' information in a way, and 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 all these democratic countries they they have to represent the values and 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 I would say that. Um, that's an excellent place where to really work together and to show uh, to the rest of the world that like democratic system is the best thing that we have on the table. And and when we when we share the common values, then I mean we can also work together. We can share the best practices and and and, and create a union where, where things really run smoothly. They're safe. People can feel secure. Um, so I I would say um, 
I'm I'm quite happy uh, with the, with the cyber side of NATO side too that they are really taking this sector more and more serious. Uh, I I gotta say that I'm a little bit disappointed about the speed of digitalization itself in EU, because um, um, I I would say that there should be much stronger uh, actions coming from the Commission side. And uh, and I, I personally would I would love to uh, push that a little bit uh, stronger now. And I would say the COVID time again was was a great proof to us that hey, like the like I, when when we compare different countries, like they're completely on a different level, and that shouldn't be that way anymore. Mm-hmm. And 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 that's why I feel like EU should really push countries to uh, to go through that process. And 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 again, we can share the best practices, see what works in one country, what didn't work, what we can learn from each other. So so, so that could be the way to go. But uh, but obviously, I mean, I'm welcoming the idea of of uh, launching the um, uh, EU like electronic identity uh, and so on. Like this is a great step already, but we are too late with this. But on the on the cybersecurity front, uh, wouldn't you say the EU is more on the strong side? Uh, because with the cyber diplomatic uh, toolbox, it seems to be, I read it as a genuine effort really to coordinate and cooperate more. The infrastructure, I I'm not an expert on digital infrastructure at all, uh, but I, I can I can fully relate to, to what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, when we, when we talk about the cyber in EU, then obviously there is more and more, again, responsible organizations where they once again, which I have repeated already many, many times, that member states can can come together and and the best experts from each state can can come and share their expertise and 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 help each other support with these posters because when it comes to cyber, cyber uh, like I would say cyber attacks don't see any kind of national borders anymore these days. It's it's like I mean it's happening every other second everywhere in the world, and and that's why. As as a union, uh, if we can work together in this field, uh, I I would say that's that's like an excellent example. And and I, I gotta say I'm I'm pretty happy what EU has been doing, and, and especially now with a new commission as well, um, they like focus is um, is is fully and also uh, cyber side as well. What about political attribution? Uh, because that's sort of the key issue when it comes to taking action. Uh, as you said, there are zillions probably of attacks happening uh, every minute uh, in the world. But uh, some may be state-sponsored, uh, some may be state-ordered. Uh, uh, but it really gets down to the politicians, you know, to make that call and say, this is the culprit and we may or may not follow with uh, reciprocal attacks. And that gets us into um, the cyber deterrence or the concept of deterrence in cyberspace and, uh, and really about how we operate in cyber as a domain. How has the issue of attribution, for instance, been discussed uh, on the political level in Estonia or uh, in other countries that you've traveled to? Well, politicians take it also more serious, obviously, because, I mean, this is one of the strongest elements to manipulate our democratical systems and, and really influence another country's like internal systems. And and, and, and this, this really becomes bigger and bigger problem today. Uh, I, I would say our politicians have been successfully, like, again, um, pushing to, to have like a clear understanding of, of different kind of steps and and what could follow and, and, and so on as well. And um, which I also, we, we, we had uh, we had a great round table at the Warsaw Security Forum. And, and we, we also talked about like uh, how important it is to have a clear framework. Uh, Estonia is currently a non-permanent member of United Nations Security Council where we try to push um, 
like all countries to approve a framework that would say these are um, the consequences that would follow if, if uh, one country attacks the other one or really like the political steps that will happen after when, when somebody attacks the other one. Um, so surprisingly, uh, it's been, it, it's, I mean, the process itself, like pushing that has been going pretty good, uh, but still it takes a lot of time. And these attacks don't wait for tomorrow, but they happen also today. And they don't wait for the legal framework. Exactly. They don't wait for that. And that's why I would say any kind of like every single uh, cyber crime should be punished as, as any other crime in a physical space. Because um, uh, the impact can be much larger, especially when we talk about like the critical infrastructure, which is, uh, I mean, if, if there would be an attack to the, like, the medical system to you, uh, some of the hospitals or, uh, I don't know, any any service providers, electricity, whatever, right. like it's, 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 we are so dependent. Uh, so, so that's why if there are clear consequences, then I would say that different countries would follow them much mm-hmm. more clearly too. So I really encourage everyone to step into the conversation and, and, and talk about the clear understanding. Do we need travel bans? Do we need sanctions? Mm-hmm. Uh, there has to be a clear list of them. You know, for, for many, still, uh, cybersecurity or incidents in cyberspace are still this kind of a remote thing, you know, that the, the politicians can get their hand on, you know, unless there is an incident that, that happens, but it's still inside the machines, you know, they can't see the cause. Uh, and uh, we've had it um, in our case, in the case of the Czech Republic as well. Um, but uh, the issue has been trying to raise the awareness, uh, not only among the politicians, but also about the middle management, trying to explain that it's not only about the IT experts, but it's effectively a managerial slash uh, political uh, slash uh, expert uh, uh, issue. So what have you what have you done uh, domestically in terms of raising that awareness and in terms of manning, you know, and in terms of uh, education? Well, you're actually correct, and uh, uh, and if I may ask you a question back, uh, sure. do do you, do you know uh, what are the most common uh, incidents? Uh, like, what's the reason of the most common incidents in uh, in public sector, for example? Also, uh, that like I don't know, not, also in public sector, but also in private sector, where organizations are being attacked. What's the reason why these things happen? Um. Should I say I don't know, or sh- should I actually take a guess? <laughs> you, you, can, you can take a guess now. <laughs> no, uh, I'd say it's the failure of an individual. Absolutely true. Within the system. So it's individuals. It's about like, um, I mean, as stupid it sounds, uh, but most of the attacks happen because people have weak passwords. Mm. Can you imagine? We're struggling with the issue that people have weak passwords, which is so easy to like hack in a way. I, I am pretty sure you have seen the system how they try to guess people's passwords because it's their dog's name or or their own name which is the number at the end of that or right. whatever like it's simple yeah. and and uh, and I was I was uh, before joining the government I, I actually worked uh, uh, in one of the private banks and I saw these incidents also happening in our HR department mm-hmm. where were like super easily uh, they just attached the file there and and you were trusting somebody who was applying for the new job and you just open it up and then all of your email box was just gone to somewhere else and then obviously when we talk about the bank uh, banking sector I mean the risk is very high to suffer also by by like financial uh, losses as yeah. well so what we have been trying to do is to educate people on a very low level already uh, first of all uh, the process should start uh, from the students 
starting to provide education in the, on a high school level, uh, continuing on the university side, which is compulsory to know all these things. But I, I also, um, I mean, professional level uh, regarding in, in the public sector and private sector, we do have a couple of companies. Um, one of them is called Cybexer, who is providing this kind of cyber education. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I worked in a bank, I had to do these kind of tests every single month. So that they, they, they uh, gave us like, it was like, okay, like 15 minutes, go through that. Like there is new additional things there. You needed to fill it in. And, and, and again, they were asking questions when this situation would happen, what would it do? And, and just like case studies and so on. It, you really couldn't just like click it through, but you had to think through everything. And, and then our IT department also was responsible of doing all the kind of tests to us. So that really that they sent us an email and they were looking whether I opened it up or no. And I, I would say testing people in, in that way is always efficient mm-hmm. because we can we can talk the theory to be poor and it's just you listen to that and you're like okay i should be smart enough now well no you have to go through that and then you understand what you should be the next steps that way so all these kind of exercises and that's what we have been able to do not only internally in estonia to our professionals but also um and on a national like on a cross-border level um i mean when we talk about like the nato center we organize cyber exercises on a global level or also on an EU level, there is as uh, CyberCon and, and all this kind of different exercises too that we, we try to do. Um, now, next actually this month, at the end of this month, we're going to uh, have an event called Cyber Battle mm-hmm. uh, of 2021, which is meant for the younger people. Okay. Uh, I think the age was around like 14 to 18, 20, something like this. And they have been competing already for a couple of months now, starting from the summer. And, and this is like the final competition uh, where they're going to find it out, like, who is this modest, like, person in a cyber battle. And, and they really, because I was going uh, to one of the um, University of um, uh, Oxford was also providing um, this kind of course that uh, we, we needed to uh, put ourselves in the different kind of groups. And they were like, okay, you are an minister of defense, mm-hmm. you are the prime minister office, you are actually working in a cert EE department. And then they gave us a case study. And with a group of people, we, we needed to go through that kind of case study and say, okay, these would be the steps that we would do and, and so on. Exercises. Again, we can t- talk about the knowledge in itself, but if we don't go through that, uh, and then I, I don't think it works. So so that's, uh, in my opinion, the most efficient way to, to really organize for different ministry, mm-hmm. like the different ministries also, uh, like real real life exercises. Yeah, no, I, I, I fully agree with you. The challenge that we have had in our system has been getting the top-level decision-makers, even the highest one, to the table and convincing them of value of such exercise. Because we can work across the various group of stakeholders, inject uh, decision-making scenarios into a rather technical exercise. We've seen that. But you don't see exercises by politicians perhaps as often as, uh, as uh, you should. Does the, the government of Estonia sit around table uh, and take part in these exercises? Well, like internally speaking, uh, I know that a lot of our ministries, uh, it's one of the highlights of their year because uh, uh, we, we organized by the Ministry of Defense this kind of, I, I think it's like three or four days uh, program for them so that they also go through all this kind of um, defense exercises, which includes also cyber side. So I, I would say it's like, 
I mean, it's an honor even to attend these kind of things if you if you have. And if you come from Estonia itself, like you, you really need to know these things. So I would say by the politicians, it, it's becoming more and more popular, also a topic to talk about. But the, the company that I talked about, uh, Cybexer, who is or- also organizing the cyber battle, uh, was also uh, helping and organizing and exercises for the uh, all the like all the EU minist- ministers of defense. Mm-hmm. So they were uh, gathering together in EU somewhere. I don't remember the location for that. It, for it that. was a couple of years ago. Yeah. yeah. And they also did the exercises uh, like to uh, to test them yeah. and to see whether they they have like real knowledge how to how to react on that situations. But obviously, I mean, when I think about political level again, I don't think these people are, are like mostly responsible for even this decision. So I, in my opinion, the best way to go is to divide the responsibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, between different organizations and, and, and really to see who is responsible for which part of is it is it like preparing for the attack is it like like handling the attack already is it commun- communicating this to you the people so that's where politicians should be taking a, a stronger role uh, what we try to do is like when something we fail with something we talk about this openly in media and saying okay we, we really like messed it up and uh, we're going to try to do that better because you, you need to be open with your people and transparent. So, so I would say they need to have awareness, uh, but, uh, but, but still there should be responsibility uh, also between different other organizations. Well, thanks for this complex recipe for, for resilience. Mm-hmm. Uh, very useful. Uh, perhaps if we could come back uh, for a couple of minutes to the international scene. Uh, let's come back to uh, the UN Security Council. Um, what are the current issues in terms of the international framework to ensure that there is a rule of law, but uh, that doesn't restrict us? On the one hand, we preserve the freedom of the internet, but on the other hand, uh, uh, that the authoritarian powers uh, don't don't use it to whatever malign conduct they're pursuing already. Well, if we first of all think about like the UN, which is a very large organization. <laughs> I heard <laughs> to get everybody's approval there uh, and 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 countries with very different backgrounds and and at the same time also not just the backgrounds of that but of of course also just like the very different stage that they are with uh, with, with cyber and digitalization or, or how serious they take that issue as well. So I, I would say this is a larger issue that uh, we are facing today. I, I, I would I would say a sentence that cyber has become also a little bit like a sexy topic on a table, <laughs> but at the same time, uh, still like there there is plenty of regions that lacking of understanding what this actually. Is. And I, I I would say in my opinion that's where the biggest problem lays today, um, and 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 just like understanding whether we should take that more seriously. <laughs> Let's talk about the future trends. There's a big talk about uh, the so-called emerging disruptive technologies, the changes, the technological change, the pace of the change, and the grand competition also between the West and the rest uh, on technology. Where do you think we should focus our attention? Where do you see the most immediate priorities? And is there something we should keep in mind, you know? I, I would say again, like whatever new solutions that we're developing or the new trends coming, uh, either if it's a 5G connection mm-hmm. that is also approaching very fast in different regions and so on. Um, I, I guess the main focus should still be on security aspects and and in EU, uh, which we also talked about very briefly before, um, that for the EU citizens, uh, data like protection is the most important aspect of that. And I I should I I would say that we should serve these values uh, for for our citizen side. Well, Estonia is currently also um, 
trying to do in a way is to to move everything again on on the AI, mm-hmm. uh, which is again like another extra step that uh, to start providing everything fully proactively and and to have AI replacing uh, people's jobs in a way. Yeah. And I don't mean this in a negative way because most of the time that we have like delegations visiting us just in Estonia and you know exactly you work in the public sector too and I'm, I'm pretty sure like in, in Czech Republic there is also discussions like okay like if we have technology uh, is technology going to replace it's and take you know steal our yeah. jobs which not true uh, I mean partly yes uh, because we're not going to have to do like very manual jobs in the future anymore it's just replacing this annoying part of our job so that we can focus on innovation and the actual problems. And I think we should turn our mindset a little bit around and think about that technology gives us a way to really focus what matters. And and this is what we try to do with AI. And and in channels, generally speaking as well, like when we think about in EU, I would say the focus should be also today raising awareness of new technologies because there is so much mis and disinformation online so that people are already freaked out before this is even arrived. Right. Let's talk about 5G. I mean, when you when you uh, talk with some people who, who like, I don't know, read this kind of uh, newspapers that spread these fake news yeah. all the time, they really think the 5G is coming to destroy us, yeah. which is not true, which is not true. And again, it's just like people are scared because we're so vulnerable right now. So, so I would say we need to talk more openly. What are these new technologies that are coming around? And then like to, to really make them feel better so that they wouldn't be so so freaked out about like what's coming and and obviously i mean 5g ai technology is nothing like that would be very common to everybody Mm. Uh, we have to make that common and what we have been trying to do is to offer also free uh courses at the university like it's you don't have to attend the university but it's like an online course offered by one of our universities so that you can go to the paces of ai and, and, and learn about what this is about, how this is influencing my life and all these kind of things. Let's just make it more natural for people. If you're not technology, if you, your digital literacy is not so high, then you still need to understand about what this is about because we are doing these things for our people, not for ourselves here. And, and this is something that we should keep in mind. But of course, everything that we want to develop for security and then the service. Thank you so much. This has been Anit Numa for the podcast Raven on Air. Thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you for joining me in this episode. We will be back soon. For more security and defense content, you can find me on Twitter. The link is in my bio. Stay tuned. Thank you. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, there, there is now this, there is now this trend: uh, women, women in technology, or um, you know, promoting the role of uh, women and uh, female leadership in in this world. What's your experience? Because you attend a lot of a lot of these meetings. Ninety-five percent of the cases, uh, I'm the only woman in a room. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not joking. Um, as speaking about like just like bilateral um, meetings or also uh, being on a stage, so it, there are very few cases that there is equal amount of women and, and uh, male on on a stage when it comes to especially cyber. When we when we maybe talk about like e-education or some of the softer topics, then there might be more females too. Uh, but but regarding cyber, then then yes. And uh, when we think about uh, how like we're lacking of human resources in the cyber sector in EU. I mean, the channel IT uh, is like 
3.5 million people lacking today in EU. Uh, and and uh, when we want to attract more people working in, in IT and in cyber, then we have to attract women first. Uh, because in Estonia today, there is only 17% of our entire uh, like population of who are like working in IT are, are females. And that's a problem. So, so I would say uh, we, we need to, again, raise an awareness of that. And, and um, this entire process starts not from when somebody is 20 and they are making decisions which university to go to, but it starts when they are um, when they're in kindergarten. And uh, we have some great initiatives by the previous uh, chief information officer of Estonian government. He started uh, a movement called, uh, or not a movement, but like a project uh, program called uh, Unicorn Squad. And uh, this is only for females, young females, starting from the age of like also uh, seven, eight, something like this. Like very, very young girls are gathering together and, and dealing with uh, with different kind of robotics and, and just, again, um, all this stuff. And, and this is raising their interest. And, and in one point when they graduate uni- uh, like high school, then they might also consider IT as one of their career options. And, and, and think about how much an impact this can also cause an economic system. Uh, because IT sector is so well paid, like so well paid. Uh, and, and if also That's females can get more flexible, get better salary, be, be more flexible, I mean, this is incredible, and that's what we what we wait for. So I would encourage everybody to consider this as the future.